Good afternoon. It's uh, uh, thank you for the invitation to uh, sharing the scriptures together with you. Uh, it's a pleasure to see you all. Um, I'd like for us to, to look together at uh, the Book of Lamentations. And for the purpose of an introduction, I'll be assuming that it's a book that perhaps we haven't uh, looked at very frequently, or we've skipped over relatively lightly, or um, otherwise just not one that's really on our mental map of what's in the Bible. Uh, if that's um, just me projecting my own shortcomings onto you, then um, we'll be studying the first chapter together and just after the introduction, uh, we'll be back on the same page. I have a theory though for why Lamentations might be uh, like this. And um, the main reason I think would be where it's placed in our Bibles. Uh, we group it together with the prophetic writings because we think it's written by Jeremiah. And so it's next to uh, the book that contains his prophecy. But if we were reading our Bibles cover to cover and we find Lamentations between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, it's quite different. Uh, we'd maybe get a sense of genre whiplash as we go from one to the other. Um, in the prophetic books, God has such a strong voice and he commands um, his servants and uh, he dictates the events that will happen to his people in those days and in generations to come. But Lamentations isn't like that. It's, it's one man's uh, pouring out of his own heartbreak as he sees the things that are happening in the world around him. It's perhaps uh, a book that fits well in the way that the, the Jews organise the Old Testament. Um, they have a collection uh, that they call the writings, which are, are just the miscellaneous texts um, in, their, in their groupings. And that would include Psalms and Proverbs and Job, um, but also um, writings of the time of the exile, like Esther and Daniel and Ezra. And uh, Lamentations would straddle uh, both those things, the events that caused uh, those people to be um, in Babylon, but also written in the style of those earlier um, poetic literature and full of wisdom. But the benefit that we have from where it's placed in our Bibles, perhaps, is a really clear sense of what Jeremiah would know of God based on the pages that come before it in our Bibles. So when uh, Job uh, was written, there was very little uh, written knowledge of God uh, for, for Job to look back to and reference. And the things that he says are fully uh, brought out of his own uh, knowledge of uh, living as a servant of God. And he'd have known much uh, beyond the really limited amount that could have been uh, passed down in writing at that time. Um, and Jeremiah would share in that same personal connection with God as a prophet, having lived through a lot of his life at this point. So he has, again, that deep personal connection that he's writing out of, but also um, a deep knowledge of the things that are written about God. And he bring, he's able to bring both these sources of knowledge to bear um, on the situation uh, that he finds himself in. And so hopefully with that point, in mind, we'll be able to look and draw out some things that uh, we might find lamentations uh, to be of benefit for us today. The first of these things would be 
um, the, the, what Jeremiah is experiencing. And he's, he's living now in Jerusalem or outside of it after it's been ransacked by a Babylonian army. And he's, uh, in all his writings, um, through the book, uh, full of the sorrow of someone who's seen um, these things uh, that are so precious to him destroyed. And that's something that perhaps in the UK uh, we're more familiar with as a topic on the news as to part of our daily lives. But uh, there's uh, many active conflicts in the world, uh, according to um, one data program, there'd be around 60 at present and up to or over even 80,000 fatalities in the past year from armed conflict. And um, the scenes that we uh, see on television sometimes, and uh, they can be harrowing uh, pictures, but um, now also here is a record of uh, what uh, a godly man uh, sees and feels as he, he looks around um, a situation perhaps very much like uh, the bombed out cities of Syria or um, the, the uh, frightened uh, escape of people in Afghanistan from the news just recently. So maybe with pictures like that in mind or just uh, listening to the text, we'll read uh, from uh, first, the first chapter of Lamentations. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She's become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced labourer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under half servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning, because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. All her majesty has departed from the daughter of Zion, her princes have become like deer that have found no pasture, and they have fled without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things that were from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the adversary, and no one helped her. The adversaries saw her, they mocked at her ruin. And so, um, how fitting would a a description like um, the roads of Zion in mourning um, could equally be taken out of its time and place and applied to uh, the market uh, towns and streets of a place like Afghanistan now empty after uh, Soviet, American and uh, Taliban incursions. And those places are now um, quiet and without the same um, force of life that was there before. And so um, as we who through an accident of birth uh, don't uh, experience these things ourselves, we can still feel a great burden to pray uh, for people in those situations, praying for the innocent who suffer and uh, to pray for um, 
that in, yes, uh, people afflicted by war, but maybe those too um, afflicted by other means of innocent suffering. Um, the persecution of Christians would be another aspect of that uh, group, those who face violence um, without having done violence themselves. Um, and so um, for any such people that we have a burden, um, the Book of Lamentations gives us uh, words and experience that we can um, reflect upon and bring back to God in prayer. We should consider the manner of such prayers, I think, um, because prayer as practiced by biblical figures is closely linked to the act of remembrance. And we see the, the confirmation and the, the approval that God has of this in the way he responds to the acts of continued prayer from characters such as Daniel and Cornelius. And in fact, Cornelius is given the incredible revelation that his prayers act as a reminder for God. This is an allusion to human political activity rather than saying that God would be forgetful otherwise, of course. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, um, with the climate conference taking place in Glasgow, people have been outside um, protesting the whole time. And they're not reminding the politicians who are there to discuss climate change that this is an issue that needs addressing. Um, the agenda has been clear and known uh, beforehand, but they're bringing um, the sense of urgency um, the, to demonstrate that people are indeed involved in the issue and they wish to they wish for these uh, pieces of legislation to go through and to be made effective um, and uh, it's not a measure of doubt that things will be de decided at the conference but rather um, to keep appealing um, even as things are in progress and so um, as we pray before God as we act uh, continually in remembrance um, this is a, a process that we can become involved in. Um, we're not uh, passive when we're praying. We're not leaving a situation for others to figure out and deal with, but um, it's, it's an act that deeply involves us in whatever's going on, uh, just as we see how um, Cornelius's involvement in prayer um, for the spread of the message of God, and he's brought into that process. Uh, in the way that uh, he's among the first of the converts of the Gentiles. For us to attain uh, to this level of prayer, though, um, we, we do need to emphasise how continual that prayer needs to be, how regular our petition uh, must be. When Paul, with his burden for um, the building up of churches of God, um, that he'd planted and others around the Mediterranean, um, we see how much of a preoccupation remembrance is for him. He doesn't address those that he writes to saying something like, now that I think about it, I do remember hearing about your faith. Rather, he says of the Ephesians in chapter 116, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And to the Philippians, Chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And so it consumed him. When he wasn't working actively, he was 
um, praying actively uh, for the people that he had this care and ministry for. I've seen um, the booklet from the International Women's Day of Prayer that's coming up, and there's a calendar there of topics uh, for enough for a whole year to allow a consistent remembrance of the suffering of um, the persecuted uh, members of the church, the body, through the year. And so whatever our prayer burden is for uh, a general point, um, then we can, we can become active in an act of remembrance before God um, by keeping that consistent and um, putting in place practical things like uh, writing it in our calendars or setting aside a time of day, whatever it takes for that to be a regular presence in our lives. Uh, we, should, we should take hold of that charge and really become um, active in that way, uh, in the, the way that God is working in the world. For a further point on the, the aspect of, of Jeremiah's perspective on war specifically though, and something that will be relevant um, if we're praying uh, for, for those who are experiencing suffering, um, we can look down to verse 20, still of the first chapter of Lamentations. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword slays. In the house, it is like death. They have heard that I groan. There is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity. They are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed, that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you, and deal with them as you've dealt with me for all my transgressions. For my groans are many, and my heart is faint. Jeremiah expressing not just sorrow at the situation that he's in, but a real desire for vengeance. Um, the weight of injustice of an invading army, um, and uh, the effect that had on innocent people um, affected Jeremiah, and he had these, these desires for vengeance. There was a time in uh, European history when pacifism was a major school of thought, and the Quakers and early Brethren movements were among the most notable proponents of it. It was grounded in Christian thought, and in the, uh, the Christian West, it found widespread sympathy for a long time until uh, the scarring events of the two world wars um, ended that sympathy for um, pacifism and instead uh, made a very clear case for um, the necessity of nations to defend themselves. And yet um, the, the ideas behind um, that pacifistic thought uh, remained, and um, we have to work out how uh, Jesus' famous statement on retaliation uh, could be um, tied in with that when he said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Um, and we should, but we should look at the theological context of that statement um, to see um, whether it's an appeal to forgiveness and long-suffering towards oppressors 
in all circumstances for complete passivity, to be completely passive um, and, and put away all feelings of vengeance as unbecoming of a Christian. There are two um, pieces of argument to unpick uh, the dilemma between a need for self-defense and this command to, to not resist evil. The first is that um, Lamentations and Jeremiah, as he writes, is providing us with evidence that it's a permissible thing to long for vengeance in times of distress. The godly man desires that those who've destroyed his home should be as he is, that there should be um, a justice that, that brings things to equality. And the second um, thing that's necessary for us to take note of is that uh, is the way that he uh, asks for this vengeance. So when he says, um, when he asks that they would become like me, he says, let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you've dealt with me. And so he's, he hands uh, vengeance back to God. He doesn't hold on to it for himself. And very much the same way as Paul provides commentary on the theme when he writes in uh, Romans 12 and 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it with the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. And really, we should have qualified the question. None of Jesus, Jeremiah or Paul are speaking about the activity of nations. The argument between um, pacifism and, and armed response isn't one that, that we need to uh, be involved in. Uh, but we're, we're concerned with a personal response. Um, when we ourselves suffer and um, praying for those who, who experience uh, violence themselves, if they're bearing witness uh, to God, then uh, we should pray that they're able to do so in a way that is as um, does as well a job of it as Jeremiah does. We see in the book that bears Jeremiah's name that he acts out this principle of peace. He uh, advocates for uh, peaceful living in the land, even when political intrigue of the local kings um, among the remnant uh, leads them to fear the wrath of the king of Babylon. He, uh, Jeremiah, brings the prophecy that they should uh, live peaceably and the king will uh, spare them. They don't follow that advice, but we see that Jeremiah did hold on to this, this principle of leaving things in God's hands, not uh, taking up for in the, the plans of insurrection or rebellion um, to level out the things that he'd experienced. Um, so even as he wished for justice at the human and national level, um, he remained committed to uh, this, these principles um, that we can live out as individuals today. As a final and, and future thought on, on these uh, parts about violence and vengeance, um, it's something that we can bear in mind as we pray about uh, the Lord's future reign, as we look forward to his return and we, we, we long for the reign of peace on the earth that we'll see him um, acting out his rule for a thousand years. Uh, but we need to, to know that uh, there'll be um, justice 
uh, there and that the people who do violence today will uh, be met with uh, their comeuppance. And there is an answer, uh, an expected time of answer for all those prayers uh, that turn violence over to God's hands um, and ask him to take care of the vengeance. But it's also one that should temper us um, in the way that we pray for those who um, are doing violence themselves to uh, remember what a weight um, that that vengeance will take upon them and ask that they might turn, see the error of their ways and find mercy while they still have uh, the time to do so. So from, from uh, this beginning and end of the first chapter, we've got reasons and words to be praying for many in the world um, as we see the news, as we follow the things that go on um, in the wider world, and also as we, uh, if we follow the, the news that concerns Christian witness and um, the persecution that goes along with that. Um, there's ample words here to be prayed back to God and we can involve ourselves in um, his plans um, as they, they work out in the sphere of the world as a whole. So moving on, we'll go back up the passage a little bit to focus on a key distinction between um, what was going on in Jeremiah's day and uh, merely the innocent suffering of those in the world, uh, because there's a very clear um, reason for the things that Jeremiah had experienced, and it was the discipline of God that had come as it had been promised. So reading now from verse 12, is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see if there's any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire into my bones and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand they knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I'm not able to stand. The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. He's called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob, the, the ones round about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while I sought food to restore their strength themselves. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. Speaking poetically, as the city of Jerusalem, Jeremiah admits and sees the reason for all that um, he had experienced. It's something to, to bear in mind 
uh, that um, although uh, the people that Jeremiah belonged to uh, were one that God called as his own son, that um, the, the advice from the Proverbs um, given towards sons that's repeated by the writers of the Hebrews when he says, in your struggle against sin, you've not re yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. We see um, from the very end of that reading how Jeremiah had not lost his heart, or his faith in God, even as he witnessed the, um, the heavy weight of that chastisement. Um, but we do see that he saw um, something that gives us a reason to see why the writer to the Hebrews compares resisting sin to the point of shedding our blood. There will be times when um, not going with the flow and making a stand that we're, we're going to stop at a certain point or that we're going to go um, the whole way against the grain of the world and that we're going to see something out in fullness of righteousness. And um, any time we hold back from either of those things because we fear the consequences, um, we're perhaps uh, not giving due consideration to what uh, the spiritual consequences of such choices could be to what the appropriate rebuke um, for such sin uh, would be upon us. We know um, even more so than uh, the children of Israel, and it's our position as uh, sons of God, and that title that's been granted to us, that uh, Jesus has paid the full penalty for our sins and that we're uh, eternally secure in him. But there are still the, the opening, the option for spiritual uh, chastisement to come upon us and um, if necessary um, remembering the the force in which that is uh, possible to come whether it's through um, things that that it, it, we experience in the world or um, in other ways uh, that spiritual discipline can be uh, leveled at us um, it's it's a useful tool to remember to keep in mind um, as the combat to sin, just as much as it's good to um, reflect on uh, why we would want to be righteous in the first place and to celebrate um, the things that Christ has done for us in enabling those choices uh, through the power of the Spirit in our lives. One important extra point, um, just a, a small turning point in the passage, but um, an important thing for us to, to keep in mind as uh, we choose to make a stand for things that are right and to not go along with the things that are wrong. Jeremiah, in the middle of this chastisement, could say that the Lord is righteous. Or in some translations, the Lord is in the right. As we grow up in the world and we're shaped by the culture that we come of age in, uh, the morality of the world seeps into us. And at times we're unable to tell what is um, right and what is not right. And in fact, the things that we believe can sometimes feel more right than the things that are stated in the Bible. And we can experience chafing 
against an inflexible old institution like the Churches of God, where people just can't see why I'm right. And yet, if we, we take the nudge here and we treat the chafing between ourselves and God and his people as a sign that perhaps we need to spend more time wrestling with the matter in prayer, a more concerted effort to uh, search out the heart of God on the matter, his revelation of himself across all of scripture, then uh, we, can, we can hope for, realistically hope for, to attain to an understanding through the revelation given to us that uh, there is goodness in what God says, that the things that he's laid out are, are true and righteous and a way of living that is beneficial to us and to others, that his judgments are good and worthy. And so we can come uh, in times of frustration and lack of understanding, remembering our, our perspective is one of people who are short-lived with minds that are incapable of holding all of the wisdom of the Bible in them at once. And we can uh, come to humbly submit ourselves again and see why um, churches of God hold on to certain things, uh, submit ourselves to those decisions that others have, have weighed out and made and uh, seen the goodness of God in uh, the things that um, we hold to uh, in terms of morality, in, in the way that we stand differently on ma various matters to the world. And we can bring ourselves into line with the body of believers, uh, into line with the mind of God, um, as, as, so that we too can come to a point uh, whenever we, we disagree over the matter of sin, so we can eventually say the Lord is in the right and I was in the wrong. And so um, we've, we've been able to look at just a couple of points from a surface level reading of the first chapter of Lamentations. Um, there's not been time to, to read into the poetry of it, to, to read the remaining four chapters, to um, reflect on, on the structure of them uh, when they're like Psalms, to uh, pull out more um, for Christian living today, uh, but just a, a quick uh, whistle-stop tour of some things that we can uh, use for prayer as a window into the experience of the godly who are suffering, that we might join them in prayer to balance and understand that sorrow and vengeance can uh, both be desires um, within such people within ourselves when we, we encounter difficult circumstances um, and to turn uh, both those things equally over to God for his um, coming justice, to commit to uh, those who are the perpetrators in such matters, that they might be treated gently. And to, to consider righteousness and rightness, that we might be boldened to, to hold fast to all that we believe, and we might constantly work um, with the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit um, to come to understand the mind of God, to uh, put that into practice in our lives, to be able to carry out our function as God's testifying people um, as we individually are transformed into the image of his son as we go about um, doing uh, what we can on the earth, all of it enabled by the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, let these things be so.